0: Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to my podcast, Coffee's On Me, David Kwan, where I strive to give guests legacy-worthy interviews that listeners enjoy while cooking, commuting, relaxing, or walking their pets. Had a particularly demanding um, work week, and um, through that, actually learnt so much about myself that I'm feeling really grateful for. Um, my guest and I were actually um, unsure about whether we were able to do the recording today, but um, due to some of the new insights and learnings that I've had, Um, Today and in the past week, I'm very excited to be here where he is enjoying a coffee while I'm enjoying (laughs) some water. (laughs) Some things are better left unsaid. Mm. Um, But anyway, I feel very blessed that we're now approaching the next podcast um, milestone of 100,000 downloads. Please know that I don't take any of your time, feedback and support for granted. Because when I started this Passion Project podcast at a low point of my time in Cambridge, I was genuinely motivated by three founding ideals number one, purpose of giving, number two, learning from others, and number three, sharing of stories, which are aspirations still that still make up the content description. I say this all the time, but very truly, the opportunities to strive to give my courageous, insightful guests legacy-worthy interviews over coffee, tea, bubble tea, water, despite my many inadequacies, have been a tremendous privilege that imbues me with gratitude. I know that I'll listen and look back to laugh at how naive I am. But if you have been enjoying the discussions on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, thank you. And please do consider leaving a review and nominating a guest by contacting me via my link tree, David Kwan. Seeing this podcast on people's Spotify raps last year or receiving positive messages about the guests themselves give me tremendous fulfillment. I cannot thank my wonderful guests enough for their courage and insights. I genuinely maintain the deep conviction that this passion project, if wholly true to those founding motivations about giving, learning and sharing, is a worthwhile pursuit. So now on to my um, incredibly thoughtful and um, very special guest for me, a very talented um, person. Simone Stahl recently completed his studies in computer engineering at Imperial College London, one of the best technical universities in the world. As someone who has always been competitive in the classroom, which I know firsthand... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Simon has an extensive history of prizes attained over his academic journey. Recently culminating (laughs) (laughs) Chinese prize (laughs) the one I got away. Uh, recently culminating into being awarded the Siemens Memorial Medal for graduating with the top score in his department. Having lived in 10 countries across four continents, Simon has a culturally diverse background and has helped him gain a strong sense of gratitude for the opportunities he's been given. This has fueled his strong urge to help others, reflected in many years of mentoring and extensive involvement in student representation, for which he was awarded the Electrical Engineering Department's Dennis Gabber Prize for outstanding contributions to student life. On a more personal level, Simon has recently reignited his passion in climbing in the form of indoor bouldering, the most stereotypical software engineer hobby uh, in existence, and enjoys spending his remaining free time hanging out with friends and loved ones, keeping fit or diving into one of the many games on his list which have accumulated over the busy course of his degree. Having just wrapped up three months of traveling in Iceland and Southeast Asia, he is briefly back in London for his graduation ceremony before moving to um, Amsterdam to rejoin Optiver as a graduate software engineer. Simone, I'm so happy we're here, and it's quite surreal that we've moved from school to having a conversation here in London, but welcome to my podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You know, and uh, the intro does a good job of hiding the real reason I'm back in London, which is, of course, to shoot this. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be real. Graduation, nah. No, no, it's just for this. Yeah, Um,
0: exactly. um, Bro, the legendary coffee. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I'm very delighted. Um, There there are so many, I guess, memories we shared in high school, and two, that comes to mind was when you first joined us in year nine, I believe. Uh, it was halfway through year eight, actually. Halfway through year yeah.
1: Because obviously like Australia has the the That's weird right. school cycle compared to uh, like northern hemisphere. Mm. So, so
0: we were in Chinese cars and you seemed to just knew everything and we also did um year nine P together and we were doing swimming. Yeah. Those are some of the memories that come to mind. Um, yeah. what, what do you remember? I mean, to be honest, like from the first couple of years, not too much,
1: I guess. I, mm-hmm. I don't think my first year at Saints were like the most fun. So for me, like like yeah, the bulk obviously is as is, is IB, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the like kind of tight group that we had there. So obviously, it yeah, awesome. I mean, I remember from that. Yeah, that, that, that was interesting. I actually met up with Chisomo recently oh, um, cool. in Bali, just bumped into him randomly. Bumped into yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like what are the odds, right? Um, yeah, another friend from uh, from high school. And so, yeah, he was basically saying that, yeah, like in the yeah. IB or like, I don't know, like. Forty people probably
0: yeah yeah we're very tight yeah exactly like yeah compared to all the Mm. the the sace kids we just get to know each other quite well well i guess before we get to our ib years then why was the first two years at saints not um that good
1: i mean so i
0: guess before uh
1: moving to australia i was definitely very like i mean i was very much of a shut-in i would describe myself as like i don't think i was particularly social I i would just read all the time um and uh essentially like Growing up, I, I moved every, like, year and a half, basically. And so I wasn't really used to having to, like, maintain friendships. It was more of, like, you know, I go good at, like, making friends quickly, and then I left, right? Yep, yep. And then you repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, but and in, then bump into them somewhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you, you never know, right? Um, but, yeah, in, in Brunei, um, it was the first place where we stayed for, like, six years, right? Hmm. So it was, for the first time, I kind of had to deal with friends being the ones who left, since, obviously, Brunei is also kind of, like, an expat hub. Yep. Um, so a lot of people I knew left, and so I didn't really make new friends when, once the old friends left. And so kind of yep. by the end, I, did, I didn't really, like... How many people I was close with, and I, would, I was just like, yeah, quite isolated, I would say. And yep. so, yeah, cu- coming into Saints, the environment was very different. I went mm. from like co to single sex. Yep. Um, and I don't think I was very socially well adjusted in general. And so, I it just, didn't
0: seem like that way. You seemed really? like you were under control.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it was just like, I don't know. I, I definitely struggled making friends at first, and just like yeah, finding people um, that I wanted, like you know, that I felt valued my time and yep. like that yeah, I, I enjoyed spending time with. And so yeah, I think I'm it was glad we found each other. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't think we were like super close in high school, but I mean, not it, in, it was um, yeah. not before I'd be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we were always like yeah, you know, like like friendly, right? Yeah, it wasn't like yeah. like close friends, but it's like you know, yeah, yeah.
0: like someone you're happy to like yeah, just, just chill with. and, yeah, and talk. yeah. So I guess you bring that international kind of perspective. Um, you know, Saints always talks about you know, expanding your horizons beyond the postcode of five oh six nine. Yeah. But for you you came from abroad. Yeah. Um, yeah. how did you find the um adjustment in terms of that international mindset? I mean I don't know, like I, I don't to be honest, I don't I don't think I noticed that much of a difference
1: in like like culturally in terms of like, yeah, kind of like people feeling like like they're all Australian versus like yeah, my past in, in more international schools. Yeah. Um yeah. I I think for me that the biggest difference was I guess like the kind of chill Australian culture, I think was very different to, to, my, to my previous background. So like, uh, in what just, sense? like, you know, students just not doing any work in the classroom, for example. Right. Like, like in my old school, like that never really happened, but it seems like definitely in some classes, you know, people would just like bludge and just like do nothing. Right. <laughs> um, and it was good for me, I think, because it, it taught me to, to, you know, take things a bit easier. Right. And, uh, and not be too like, like tightly strung, which I think helps yeah, me a lot yeah. now. Um, but yeah, that, that, was, that was the thing that I think like I noticed the most moving from, from Brunei to Australia.
0: Yeah. Why did you stop doing Chinese? Um, that was,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, no flame to the, to the St. Peter's Chinese teachers, to be honest, but yeah, in, in my old school, the Chinese teachers that were definitely like of, of, a, of a caliber above. Um, so yeah, I didn't learn much the, the first couple of years there. And then obviously there was, there was a big strategic reason, um, where, yeah, w- given these, given like the resources that I, I thought were available at Saints for my Chinese. Uh, I felt like it was too risky to, to pick Chinese as as uh, as my my second language, um, and you know French was basically a guaranteed seven, so that's why I made the switch. I mean, like I, with IB, it's already hard enough. I think to, to get into like really high unis, um, since IB is like kind of valued less than than other courses I found, where like the requirements are always much harsher than they are like like than the equivalent requirements would be for a different course. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like like it was just too risky to keep going
0: right right and when you decided to pick IB at that time because we had what year 10 PLP and stuff and we did a bunch of like, assessments oh, that was and, such a waste of time and, and, <laughs> and, and figuring out the career option at that point did you know that you were going to be studying abroad and did you know the type of like, engineering that you want to be doing like in terms of what I wanted to do, I had no idea, but I definitely knew that I'd probably study abroad. I mean,
1: like, yeah, I, I was always quite competitive schooling-wise, and so I wanted to go to a, a really good uni. And uh, unfortunately, Australia, Australian unis aren't, like, the highest strength. I mean, like, they're not bad, right? But I think, like, the highest there are, like, like you know, t- like, in the top 30 or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I was definitely aiming higher. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I always knew I was going to do IB because I wanted to study internationally, basically. Mm, mm. Um, and then engineering, I actually wanted to do uh, – Uh. I wanted to be an author for most of my life, actually. Author? Yeah, until year 10 English uh, made me change my mind. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was always good at, at math and physics. I always liked math and I'm physics. I'm surprised
0: IBSO English didn't bring
1: like, <laughs> Yeah, passion. yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I always thought math and physics was fun. Um, and so, you know, the kind of standard, you like math and <laughs> physics, you don't, know what you, you don't know what to do
0: with your life you do engineering but were you looking at uk unis or us unis uh was, i couldn't whereas...
1: us i wasn't looking at, at all they're just too expensive like it's, it's just not worth it essentially like i i don't think like the added value you get um from going to like yeah so you know like mit over over imperial or or like oxbridge um i don't think that's worth the at the time like i don't know like 40k price difference because yeah, I, I had yeah. EU fees and so obviously EU fees are now dead in the uk as well yeah, so if i yeah. look now i don't think i'd look at the uk either yeah. Um, so yeah, US was an option, so I, I was looking at, uh, yeah, Europe, uh, UK mostly. So yeah, I looked at UK unis, I looked at uh, EPFL yeah. and ETH. I looked at um, a couple uh, unis in the Netherlands, like Delft, um, yeah.
0: and then yeah, uh, obviously like yeah, I, mm. Cambridge and, and Imperial in, mm. in the UK. You were someone who um, I, I remember often when I had um, academic problems like math or physics I'd often, you know, go to you either for practical help or moral support. <laughs> so in my in my mind, you were someone who was really good at giving advice. Um, do you see yourself in that way? And do you have any like advice that you often give out to other people?
1: uh i mean obviously like yeah at uni uh, as as dep rep i feel like i spend a ton of time uh giving advice and it's definitely something i've done more and I, th- I think in general i i mean yeah I, I did a lot of tutoring when i was uh yeah like like back in high school and stuff and so that definitely helps with giving advice yeah i i, I do think I, I i like giving advice and i'm like okay at it, i think most of the time
0: mm-hmm.
1: um I, I think i think it's hard to give good advice because like Obviously, like, you know, every everything that you experience is, is just yeah, like, like through your background. And so it's, it's hard to know if like what you've experienced is just because, yeah, you know, you got lucky or like, you know, something with, with, with you with your like upbringing is like, like has made things in a certain way for you and how applicable that is to everyone else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So giving like general good advice, I, I think is hard. But but yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, if you tell someone that, you know, just do what makes you happy, like that can't be bad advice. Right. Like, you know,
0: <laughs> what um, makes you
1: happy? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I think that like, so I mean, when I was younger, it was definitely like, like doing well academically was, was was like probably like the main thing that made me happy. And, like, validation? Was, yeah, yeah, I mean, like th- that was the main source, I think, of like self-worth and validation. Like, you know, like, yes, you know, like I'm smart, I'm I'm, smart, I'm, I'm good at like, you know, I do well in school. Um, it's, it's, it's very easy. It's, like, you know, you, you have your grade, you have all that. It's very easy to see well in that. Um, and at uni, that was, I mean, going into uni, I actually like thought, that would be different uh in, in my first year i kind of had the approach of yeah you know like i'll try to get like a first class but past that i don't really care i'll just you know focus on like having fun that kind of stuff mm. um but then obviously like in second year covid hit um and there wasn't really much else to do mm, so mm. i kind of got back got back on the grind um but i think the, the the kind of self or like yeah the the happiness like i got from that kind of has gone down i still am definitely like a perfectionist and like in general when i work out i, I want to make sure I, I do the best I can mm. um, and I don't like yeah the main thing is I don't like not doing like the best I can and so I, I definitely mm. spend a lot of time like working working to get good marks but I, th- I think what makes me happier now is, is definitely like yeah help helping other people uh, or, or like tutoring um like in, in my fourth year I don't think I I enjoy my subjects as much the same way I enjoyed like yeah uh doing like like teaching assistant uh work for for first and second year
0: did you contemplate ever being a teacher
1: I mean, I contemplate it as like a, a retirement career, you know. Um, sadly, I, teaching is, is not really valued, I think, uh, enough uh, by society. And so in my position, it's, it's just not worth it, I think, to kind of dedicate myself to the life of teaching when, you know, I've got an ultimate career path that will net me like 10 times more money. Um, and so I mean yeah like so, so, something I like thinking about is like you know uh mm. you know maybe once uh, I've, I've acquired enough uh, on that Optiver salary you know
0: in ten years, mm-hmm. you can just yeah, um, uh, yeah retire I mean congratulations I, to Optibu, <laughs> obviously a great opportunity yeah, was it hard to how, how what was the application <laughs> process um it
1: was I, it was pretty similar to like a, a lot of other trading companies, or like even some big tech ones. Um, there's like yeah, a bunch of interview stages, uh, a lot of technical interviews. I actually thought that it was it, it's different to a lot of other companies in the way that there's no kind of like, and this is kind of going quite quite I guess nitty gritty into like what software engineering interviews are like. But there, there's no like like, lead code type interview questions where they, where they kind of give you these like puzzles, uh, these coding mm-hmm. puzzles, and you, to, and you have to solve them in front of them live, um, which I think is really good because I feel like those are are quite like random, mm-hmm. and. I feel companies like kind of use them as like pseudo IQ tests, hmm. um, but the problem is that, yeah, it, a lot of it comes down to have you seen the question before, and uh, if you have, obviously, then you're fine, and if you haven't, then you know, do you get it on the spot or not? And if you don't, it's, it's just unlucky. Were um, you nervous when you did them? Oh yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, and I think I got less nervous. I mean, I was still very nervous doing every interview, but the interview actually, I think, did a really good job of kind of like yeah, g- getting you at ease, and then just getting the most out of you, like. They, they, they treat the interviews a lot like conversations, which is, I think, very stereotypical. Like every, every company is like, you know, our interviews aren't interviews, it's a conversation between <laughs> like, you know, us and you. Yeah, um, yeah. But like, I actually really enjoy, like, like the final round of interviews, I actually, I think I really enjoyed all of them. Like I was, I was just having fun. Like, you know, you obviously have the nerves that, that are like there before the interview starts for sure. But mm-hmm. then I think after the first like five, 10 minutes, yeah, kind of get into the zone. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it was actually just a lot of fun.
0: Mm. You were, what, f- came first at Imperial for your degree? Yeah. That's like incredible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's definitely something I didn't expect. Um, see, I mean, like I mentioned before, um, in first year, I was, yeah, wanting to take things easy. Um, and I did. And, and uh, or I mean, I don't know, I, I still did, I think, like, like quite well throughout the year. Uh, but then when COVID hit, we basically had a no detriment policy, which meant that, you know, as long as you passed your first year, your score doesn't affect your final degree at all. So when that happened, I basically was like, well, you know, I'm pretty sure I'd pass no matter what, like, based on, like, my averages that I've got to, like through my assessments. And so I didn't really um, revise much for the, for the exams uh, and did 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 okay. I mean, like, <laughs> the exams, I, some of them I tanked quite badly, but, like, it's fine, you know, like, st- still got the first for the year. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, going into second year, I was like, well, um, you know, I... I I got a first last year and I didn't really put much effort at the exams. Like mm, this mm. year, I'm going to try really hard now. And that's who I can get, right? And mm, it's like, mm. not, not like I can do anything else. Like everything's closed. So yeah, yeah. May, may as well just, just, just work hard. And so um, I was aiming for Dean's List, which I don't know if you have that at, at Cambridge, but um, it's basically like the top 10% of the cohort
0: yep. gets the Dean's List award. Okay. And so like, you know, yeah, I'll go for that. Like that, that seems like, like yeah. something that I can maybe So you've always maybe been achieve. someone, I guess, who had goals to, like short-term goals or medium-term goals, on. term Yeah, yeah I mean, like in, going second year... I had the goal of Dean's. So, yeah, that was like, a, I guess, a, yeah, a,
1: a goal for the year, a medium-term goal. Um, and practically, how do you keep yourself accountable? I mean, when it's something like, I mean, I don't know. I don't think I, I had to really do anything to keep myself accountable. And in general, I don't know how much I bought into, like, the whole goal-setting thing. Like, I mean, like what we did in, like, PLP in year 10, yeah, where it's yeah. like, you know, like, write all these goals and all this kind yeah, of stuff. Smart like, goals. Yeah, and- like, I don't really spend much time thinking about, about the goals more so than just, yeah, like, I, like... I just liked what I was doing. So it was very easy to keep myself accountable because it wasn't like I needed to be like, okay, yeah, now I have to work, you know, like, like for the next hour, like no distractions, I'm working. Cause it's just like, I was really interested in what we were doing and so I would just work cause it was like fun and I was bored. Like there's nothing else I can do. So um, yeah, I, I, just spent, I, I just put in a lot of time to work cause it was, it was, it was enjoyable, it was interesting. Um, and I think that that's really what helped me. And so yeah, like m- my first success was yeah, in second year where a- aiming for, for Dean's List, I actually ended up topping the year that year. Um, which was very unexpected, and obviously like that was a that that was a huge one I, I think like like in, in terms of accomplishment that felt as good as like getting my Cambridge offer whereas like you know I was like on top of the world when I went over. I was like damn like I'm sick like let's go right <laughs> um but yeah uh it was like at the time I would describe myself as like the person in our course who was like enjoying their course the most out of anyone else, and I think like that was kind of what gave me the edge um over a lot of other people where it's like if you're not working product, like you know you, you can put in like ten hours a day to work um but if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it's going to be really hard to like. Yeah, work productively, right? It's, it's all about like how efficiently do you work, and so I felt like I was working very efficiently because I was liking what I was doing, and I was also working a lot of hours. So I combined it. It makes it very difficult,
0: I think, for other people to, to like, yeah, get an edge over you. Um, mm, mm. When you're like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, we talked about how uh, everything happens for a reason, and obviously, you know, you had the Cambridge offer, and then things didn't work out. But obviously, things worked out, perhaps even better than.
1: No, I, I, I I'm. How super do you- and I'm actually super happy, because, yeah, yeah. Um, so for context, because, um, yeah, obviously people don't know. Um, so I got an offer for Cambridge General Engineering um, with uh, some great requirements that I didn't meet through my IB a um, couple of, of, of unfortunate things happened. Like um, we, had, we had some very harsh moderation against our school in a couple of subjects, mm. uh, which you were also affected by, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Did it actually bring you down from a seven to a six in Econ? or, or were It, were it brought fine?
0: me to just the grade boundary, oh, so it didn't yeah. affect my grade, but okay, one more percent yeah, I would have. Yeah, yeah,
1: for me, it, bro- it brought me down um, a grade boundary for, for math, uh, where our internal assessment got moderated down by, like I think, like two grade boundaries or something. And so it mm. brought my overall grade down. Um, and then a couple of other, other weird things. And at the time, yeah, I was... I was quite sad about it, and it's it, One of the biggest reasons was because like Cambridge had like a general engineering program. Um, at, at Imperial, obviously every course is like specific, where it's like you know you do um, electrical engineering or you do computer engineering or you do um, chemical engineering or whatever, right? And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so it felt like a lot riskier to kind of have to have to already like kind of put yourself in the specialization when you don't really know what you want to do. And so yeah. Cambridge was, was like I was happy with like the flexibility. Um, But it worked out really well because I ended up loving my specialisation, and I got to specialise two years earlier than I would have at Cambridge. So now I feel like I'm definitely ahead of where I would have been if I'd gone to Cambridge, uh, like for my degree. Hmm. Um, So yeah, it worked out really well for me. Like I'm super happy um, that I went to Imperial, and, and and I do think that I. I learned, like, I think that, I don't think I would be in
0: as good of a position now, um, mm. that I would, like, like if I'd gone to Cambridge, that, that I would have mm. been if I went to Imperial. Not to, like, open, like, old wounds, but I know things worked out well, but when you found out that things then didn't work out, do you remember, like, where you were, how you felt, and how you were able to pull yourself out of that kind of misery and look forward and try and find other opportunities? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean... The thing is, I already had my grades um, when I got my Cambridge offer, but when they first sent me the offer, the way they phrased it made it seem like it was unconditional or like that basically they already had my grades, so they knew my grades were, so they just, had, you know, I just had my place. Um, and so I think it was like three days later, they like, they like updated my Ucash something and that's when I got the requirements. Um, and I, I just knew that I didn't meet them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, at the time, I don't know, I mean, like, yeah, it obviously felt bad, I think. Um, but. It still felt good that like I was I was good enough to get the offer, right? And so we we looked into alternatives, like you know, like like that kind of stuff, um, because obviously since, since I graduated in November, I could have still sat the exams in in May with all the like normal UK people um, and, and and yeah, improve my grades there. Um, but the, the the main take was you know like let's just wait and see. Let's um uh, like I hadn't had my, my imperial interviews yet, so it's like you know let's, let's see how those go, let's see how the stuff go, and then and we'll decide. Um, and so what ended up happening actually was, um, uh, yeah. After so, yeah. You know, that, that was my idea. It was like, you know, if things go well at the Imperial, I mean, I also have EPFL, um, but otherwise, like, no, yeah. Try to resit, try to try to get like remarks, um, uh, and yeah, and still get my, my grades through the boundary. Like, I, I I had time to kind of try to figure that stuff out, right? It's not like you don't get the offer and then you know, like, what can you do except wait a year and reapply? Because in this case, like, you have the offer. You just need to make sure your, your grades meet the requirements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I um, ended up uh, like, yeah, later doing my Imperial interviews, and those went really well, and I actually really enjoyed them. Mm. So uh, I got the un- unconditional offer from from, uh, from Imperial, and so yeah. I was like, yeah, just go Imperial and turn down the Cambridge offer, or like,
0: mm. quote-unquote, turn down. <laughs> On UCAS, it says, it says I rejected Cambridge, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to Imperial, um, and then COVID hits. How did that period affect your university experience? Um, so
1: yeah, I, I, still had like most of my first year, which was really nice. Um, and yeah, I did like lots of partying, met lots of like really cool people, um, which was really great cause then like kind of going into COVID, I already had like my, my, my friendship group, um, which, which is really helpful. And so essentially, uh, the way works at Imperial, yep. sorry, the way works at Imperial is, um, is you have uh, your first year in halls, um, and then, uh, you have, you have to move out basically uh, into your own accommodation. And so uh, a bunch of my friends from first year and and I basically moved into like the, the same area and we were all, like within 5 minutes of each other. And so you know, even though during covid it was lockdown like I was I was basically living by myself and so um I I could like link up a support bubble with 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 another house of my friends and so we saw each other a lot. Um which was just like a nice like in terms of social aspect I don't think it really took took much away um because I still to see them a lot. Um the biggest I mean yeah, the, the immediate downside was uh we we had like some trips planned which we couldn't do obviously. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I basically came back to uh, to Romania, where uh, where my family was living at the time, mm-hmm. to do my exams. Where I basically did nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah, th- that environment was was not great for me for me like to work in. It's like I I just yeah I don't know I was just I was just out of it I guess. Um, but then then after in, in second year, um, I think it, it, it yeah I mean just just helped me focus, focus up I guess on, on work. Um, and I mean I don't know overall I, uh, it was it, it was still fine like you know, I, I, I don't think COVID affected me badly in the same way it affected other people. Like it, so it was pretty chill. Tell
0: me some fun facts about computer engineering. Like what, what did you learn from it? How did it change the way that you see the world?
1: Uh, I mean, the, the biggest thing is like understanding how computers work, which is which is pretty cool. I think like how do uh, computers work? I mean, it's just it's just math, right? Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's essentially, what you have um, is you have, uh, I guess, yeah, memory, uh, the CPU logic unit, and uh, and this, essentially just that, right? So computers basically just, just move data around. So you have uh, switches, right? Which, which represent a zero or a one, and then you can use that to encode like data however you want, right? And so like, for example, you can you encode a number using, using binary encoding, um, and then you just perform operations on that data, right? And so uh, essentially the CPU has a bunch of like yeah, uh, digital logic, like essentially logic gates that you propagate signals through, and then those signals are transformed by the gates. Um, and then you, you can kind of store that back, back into your memory. Um, and th- as a programmer, you essentially just yeah, you, you write code that then, or instructions to the CPU that then basically transform this data like, uh, in a variety of ways. And that's how you get computers to do, to do stuff, more or less.
0: Did you also study a bit of the history of that development? I mean, we touched, we
1: touched on it a bit. I mean, obviously, like, it, it's also quite interesting because, like, in, in high school, for example, uh, all the math and science you learn, it's, like, really old, right? Like, you don't really learn anything modern because it's, it, it built on all, on all the old stuff. And so I guess this is kind of, like, the, the first kind of subject that I've, I've covered where I'm more or less caught up to, to, to where we are in, in terms of modern standards, which is really cool. Um, so, obviously, like, when we start... We, 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 like, you don't learn everything because like, yeah, a, a lot of things change over time and so I think you learn a little bit of history but it's not something that I really focused on much but you, you kind of learn the basics first of like, I guess like, you know, how computers maybe looked like 20, 30 years ago right? and that's, like, that's what you learn in first year because that's like pretty simple and then uh, you know, in, in like third year you, you can do advanced courses which then kind of take you from the basic stuff you know all the way to
0: how modern computers work um, Tell me more about the cool things in there because I, I studied <laughs> humanities and yeah. it's, it's very different
1: I mean, it, it, it's really interesting to kind of see like uh, how how different innovations kind of pair together. And so, like in the past, we've, we've had things like just being able to like make transistors smaller, right? So, um, uh, in, in terms of like 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 kind of physical science of like the, the, the transistors are the chips and computers that kind of make everything work. And so, oh, like you know, historically, we've basically been able to like half half their size um, every, every, every like two years. You know, like, so, like computers basically got, got cheaper, the chips got smaller, so you, you could pack more transistors onto a single chip, and each transistor got better. And so you kind of got this like free performance upgrade over time. So hardware designers didn't actually have to think that hard because, um, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying obviously, but like, they basically got these like free improvements from the fact that yeah, the actual hardware was improving, like, like the, the technology that kind of made the chips was getting better. And so that just kind of gave us better performance for free. Um, but we're getting, kind of getting to a point now where, where we're hitting like fundamental limits of how small can we make transistors before like you know, there's, there's just there's just not enough space, right? Like, I, I think like we're down now to like, the, the five nanometer like scale for like how big these, these transistors are, and you can't really make it smaller because it's, just, it's like the physics just doesn't work anymore. Um, and so, kind of now we're at a point where, where um, like over the last twenty years, kind of hardware has like gone gone some inefficiencies maybe in the design where people haven't thought too hard about certain ways, um, and so there's like a lot more performance we can kind of squeeze out of that. And so, in, in the next ten years, I think we'll see a lot more time spent on like yeah, really micro optimizing like yeah. All the different aspects of the hardware and the design of the hardware to then continue like the, the of improvements that we've seen in the past um i mean i don't know yeah in, in terms of cool stuff it's like um i guess yeah like like how computers like execute like multiple things at the same time and, and how how it all works kind of like understanding how all that stuff works is pretty cool i, I don't know if it's something i really can explain um, in the script of this podcast, um,
0: you came first, keep going <laughs> <laughs> Dude,
1: I feel like i 'm going to embarrass myself like people are going to look back on this i 've been like traveling for the last three months i haven 't been thinking about any technical work it 's all rusty it 's all over you know like it 's all forgotten now it 's completely gone um, i don 't know I mean obviously like i 've been like fully like hardware design is something I, I specialize in i 'm more on the software side, um, and so I can talk more I, I, I feel more comfortable talking about that kind of stuff. Go for um,
0: it. <laughs> dude i mean i don't know like like, like like what do you want me to say <laughs> what do
1: you want me to say man
0: <laughs> i guess just like what do you feel like that you've learned through your course has really informed the career and life decisions that you are now making <clears throat> i mean the biggest thing for me is um uh programming is just a lot
1: of fun um so like for example like i guess the thing i can compare it to like clo- like closest to is, is like math problems where um, in high school, like, like, I think math is a lot of fun for students who, who kind of get the math. Like, I, I think the problem is uh, in high school that a lot, a lot of people, like, never learn properly how to do math, and so they don't find it fun because it's, they just don't understand how to do it. But I feel like if you, if, you, if you do understand how to do it, it can be very fun to kind of solve these old puzzles Or you know, you have a puzzle, you can like, apply some rules, and then you can find the solution, right? And so programming is kind of like that, but it's a lot more easy to see how it applies to the real world, and uh, it's really fast. Like, you, you can have a problem where it's like, you know, um, I w I want to figure out like how to organize my schedules to like, you know, minimize like my, my commute time between things. Right. Like you can write a program that can, that can solve that for you. Right. And you can run it and you can see like, yeah, like, like in real time, kind of what you've done, help you like help, help enrich your life in some way. Right. And so like, even in my first year of university, we kind of had that where it's like, you know, you have like math, like we had like, you know, some, some like, uh, electronics questions and, um. There were like some stuff that I could automate by like writing a simple program, and so it was just really cool to be like, yeah, you know, like, like, I have these problems and I can solve them, and I can see the solution. And if I get something wrong, I can I can see out the problem and I can fix it. And it's a very fast kind of feedback loop, and it's super rewarding. I think to kind of to kind of get that that like yeah that that, that mental boost of like you know, boom, like I, I solved this problem, or I solved this problem, right? And so that's kind of what pushed me. Onto the software side of things, because yeah, going, going into uni, I, w- I was more on the electrical side, and then I switched to computer engineering after my first year, because I really enjoyed the, the programming side. And so there the was a common first year, and so I could just switch, and, and, and it was great. Are
0: you worried for humanity? No. As in, like, in terms of what? Like, like AI taking over? or Just the general kind of hype that we see um, <clears throat> on the media nowadays.
1: With AI? I mean... I'm not sure, and like I may eat my words, but I'm actually not as uh, as, as on the AI hype train as, as, as most people. I feel like th- there was an AI boom, I think, in the '80s, uh, where people were like, oh yeah, AI is gonna take over with basically like like what, what was called like modal logic back then, which was a kind of like the way AI worked. It's Like, yeah, the, the way people saw AI back then, and nothing really came of it. And we're seeing even now, where, like, I mean, I've seen some headlines where it's like, yeah, companies aren't really able to like make profit off of the AI hype. Um, and so yeah, I, I think a lot of it is hype for sure. Um, I do think that there's some really cool opportunities for AI and especially like like, yeah, I mean kind of the whole gpt P T three, GPT four type of stuff where it's like these large language models, especially in things like teaching, for example, where I, I feel like it can be helpful to kind of like ask Chat GPT questions with, you know, this thought in back in mind, like, you know, it could be completely lying to me, right? But it can be helpful to to kind of give you ideas and point you in the right direction for certain things. Um but I, I don't think that it's at the point where it's gonna replace at least technical jobs yet. I, I think the, the, the biggest place to worry at the moment is in like the arts field where you know we, we, we have like yeah Dali like generating images that kind of stuff like yeah taking artist job that I think is is thing we'll, we'll see sooner. But in terms of like the, the like the average technical person's job being taken over by AI, I don't think that's something that, that we have to worry about for now. Um, so no I, I, I'm very optimistic in general. I, like like I do think that with improved technology like we can make the world better for everyone, right? Um, the kind of classic economists, you know, make the pie bigger um, and And trickle it doesn 't work out i mean i don 't really believe in trickle downs because it clearly doesn 't work, um but I do think that yeah like you know we can make things better, we can make things more efficient um and uh, and i I think it 's very cool like I, I feel like yeah one big takeaway from my degree is like I really see the kind of the power of computers and like I feel like i 'm in a position where where I can like, kind of harness this power and and really like like make big changes right um like i i, I mean i 've made some changes within my course like like using computers, and so i th- I think it 's like the, the most exciting applications of computers are like kind of where they're underused right now. So things like, yeah, like, like in education or in governments, that kind of stuff, where I feel like, um, right now there's like no talent in these industries because it doesn't pay at all. Um, but there's this huge potential for, for improvements for making things much better than they are now by using this technology, because it, it really like can solve problems like
0: so much better than, than how we could in the past. Right. So what would your, um, I guess you obviously can't share specific duties for your job at Optiva, but what do you kind of see your career progression? Do you do you intend to stay in that field, and is that kind of what you always wanted to do with your life?
1: Um, I mean, I didn't know HFT companies existed until I think like uh, halfway through my second year, or like like yeah, basically like in, into my third year of of of, um, of uni. Um, and I guess I I didn't really see myself working there initially, um, or I mean, like I mean, obviously I didn't know it existed, but once I, I knew what it was about, um, it is like a, a cool place to work because you do get to work on some really interesting technical problems there. Um, in general, like there's like kind of like the obvious downside of you're not really like doing anything to, to like make the world a better place necessarily, like like direct benefits. Is that idealistic or is that true? You think? Um, I mean, with software specifically, I, I don't think like we're, we make the markets more efficient. Um, uh, is is the, the marketing term for it? Where basically. Um, it's definitely like I don't think you you, you can say it's negative. Like I, I think it's very hard to argue that, that what they do is negative in any way for society. Um, but they, they basically kind of help 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 the the, the markets work. So right. So like essentially, Optiver and other HFT and some other HFTs kind of provide liquidity to the markets where they kind of have these like these quotes, right? Um, to to make it easier for people to buy and sell stocks. Mm, mm. And so, in our current economic system, that is very helpful, right? Because by encouraging people to to, to trade you can essentially um, encourage investment, which, encourage, which is then like, you know, fuels innovation, right? Like the reason why we um, uh, have such a, a, like a an improvement in like living standards compared, you know, and like such a fast rate of improvement compared to 500 years ago is because people are optimistic for the future, right? Like people are basically willing to give, the, give their money away now with the expectation that, you know, in a year, it's going to be that they're going to get bigger returns, right? Like they're, they're, they give their money to companies by buying shares. Um, and then the expectation is, you know, the company will then use that money now to then, you know, make some kind of innovation and then bring back more money in the future, right? And so by facilitating that, Optiver is effectively facilitating um, uh, all these companies, like all the companies in the world to, to kind of innovate faster, right? By, by reducing the barrier for people to trade because they kind of take on the risk and so it's less risky for people to invest. I think it's very hard to kind of measure the impact that has. not And you know, if you're anti-capitalism, then you'd say that it's terrible what they're doing because you know, they're making capitalism more efficient, which is just bad if you don't believe in capitalism. Um, so I think it's hard to measure the kind of good they do in the world. At least, at least like through the direct work, and obviously like they have lots of charities and all this other kind of stuff to kind of help fuel that that, that kind of like yeah, do good, do good. Age. But it wouldn't be the same as like let's say you know if you're working in, at a hospital and you're like like seeing your work directly save people's lives, right? Like like you're not getting that same kind of reward um, uh, from your job that you would like yeah, in in AFT. But like you know I think it's the same in big tech where you know if if you're working um, you know, on social media, we know social media is like bad for humans, right? Um, like social media companies have internal studies that, that have shown that what that what they do is bad for human happiness, and so i, I don 't like at least in in finance like in this particular branch of finance that i 'm in um, uh, there's there 's not this this like clear downside where you're, where you 're doing bad things for society um, but other companies right like yeah i mean like google for example it's it 's also hard to, to see kind of like some of the stuff that do they do it's, it's i think it 's also equally hard to kind of see how does that benefit society. The same way that yeah, it, it could be hard to see how how making the markets better would benefit society if that makes sense and so obviously like um, that 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 I think can can that be a turn off for some people um, but the actual job itself is a lot of fun um, because yeah like I mentioned the pro- before the problems that you solve are really interesting um, since things happen so quickly right um, in trading you're you're looking at at like yeah na- nanosecond uh, latencies right like um, and so it basically becomes very important to really utilize like your engineering skills to make things as, as efficient as possible, um, which you don't really get in, in a lot of other um, uh, kind of applications of computers. Because in most cases, right, if a human is using a computer, the computer has to be fast for the human, right? And so, if something happens in 100 milliseconds to you, that's going to like be super quick, right? But for the computer, that's years, and so. It's one of these few industries where I can really like use all of my knowledge, uh, especially as a computer engineer, where like, I kind of had this lower level understanding of how computers work and I can write code that really takes most, like, the most advantage of the hardware um, to kind of, yeah, write this super efficient code that works super fast. And, and it's important that I do that, if that makes sense. Like it, it's part of my job to do that. Um, whereas if I, if, if I were working in some other industry, I might not need to, to do all of that. Right. And so that's one thing that kind of definitely drew me to the role and, and something that I really enjoyed while I was there, right, was was kind of having to, to, really, to really think and to use all the skills that I've learned um, to write like the best code possible, uh, where you might not need to do this somewhere else. Um, so yeah, okay, I guess going back to the original question, because I've gone on a bit of a tangent. Um, I didn't initially see myself working in these companies, but yeah, learning about the work they did, I thought this seems really interesting. I think I'd, I'd like working here. And then obviously at your mentorship, I really liked working there. And then obviously, the pay is is definitely a great factor where it 's like these companies pay basically more than any 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 other company you could work at, and so you know as someone who 's young who doesn 't really have much money at the moment it 's pretty nice to, to yeah start building something up you know i could I can realistically say I can probably buy a house in my lifetime, which is like pretty crazy because I feel like most people our age will never have that chance right um, so it definitely yeah
0: is uh, something that that brings you to it that 's awesome. Oh, um... So, do you anticipate um, that the next two years will be particularly challenging, like moving from a student to employee kind of transition, or do you think it will be quite a natural transition? I, I think it'll be it'll be pretty chill. I mean, so um, one great thing about
1: Imperial—I I don't know how much uh, like Cambridge did this in, the, in their engineering course—is uh, they're very industry focused. So, for example, in third year, you you have the opportunity to do a six-month industrial placement where you basically work at a company for six months. And so, I did that at Altaver. So even then, like I really felt like I was being treated as an employee. Some people actually thought I was an employee um, because they, which is pretty funny. Um, Like yeah, at one point at some work event, like I I was there, I was was talking to someone, and they asked me like like if because it was an intern event, and so um, I asked them who their intern was, and then they asked me who my intern was. (laughs) I was like, I'm the I'm the intern. Um, But yeah, um, working there was was really nice, and uh, it was another thing that kind of brought me back to the company was that there's. It's 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 quite a, it's it's a relatively small company in the sense that it's, it's like I think like one thousand people worldwide. Um so there's very little bureaucracy and you spend a lot of time just like just writing code, which as an engineer, like in a lot of the big tech companies, you, you'd have a lot more kind of like bureaucratic nonsense to deal with. Um and so it's it's super fun. Like the way i describe it is that it'll be even better than uni. Like, like The transition from high school to uni was great because I kind of cut out all the subjects I didn't like, right? So I didn't have to do English or business anymore. Like That was all gone. So, sorry, business teacher. Um, <laughs> I mean, like it's more like humanities like don't interest me as much as, as technical stuff because it's just really interesting to like understand how things work, I think. And the problem with humanities is that it's hard to know for certain if that's how things work, right? Like with math, you, you can be very certain that things work a certain way. Whereas with economics, for example, you know, you, you can do studies, but you know it you can't capture everything right um and so i think like yeah like going to uni for example, I, I i think the uni work was more difficult but i i found it easier to work because it, there was less things i didn't like and now this jump to to work at least early work for sure i think will will be very similar to that jump where there'll be less things i don't like and I'll basically just be writing code which I, I i love and so that'll be a lot of fun and obviously you know as you get seniority there are other things that come into play and you, you know you get more responsibilities and so maybe then there'll, there'll be some parts of my work i won't like as much i'm not sure i mean I'll, you know we'll see but based on my experience in october uh last year i definitely think that yeah the, the it'll be very easy to adjust and I'll, it'll it'll be even more fun than the uni was
0: how's your um social support network at uni and how do you anticipate that changing once you start work
1: um, well, luckily for me, a lot of people from my social support network at uni are actually moving to Amsterdam with me. So I'm just bringing, I'm bringing everyone with me, basically. Which by is, which, coincidence uh, or by uh, design? Well, I mean, they, I guess not really coincidence because they <laughs> just applied to similar companies um, and also got in. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I also encouraged them because, you know, once I had the job first sure there, I was like, yeah, you know, like, it'd be fun if we got a bunch of people there. Um, so, yeah, I, I have uh, my girlfriend coming with me. Um, we also got a job at Optiver. Um, and another one of our friends uh, who's also working at Optiver. And then I've got uh, a second friend who's who's working at a different trading company in Amsterdam who's already there. Um, so I, I have some friends there already. I have some people I met at Optiver last year who, who got return offers or offered other companies in Amsterdam who are also going to be back. So I already have a lot of people I know there, which is, which is great, which helps a lot. I also have family um, in the Netherlands. So I think it'll be like one, one of the best moves that you could really have in the sense of like, yeah, like, um, yeah, like, you know, social stuff where you, you have people there already, you have people coming with you, you know, a lot of people there. Um, so that, that will be great. Um, and yeah, at uni, I mean, yeah, I, I had, I guess, yeah, my friendship group, um, there are some changes through that over the four years, as I'm sure there are with, with everyone. Um, so yeah, there, there's some support there. Uh, and I guess, um, I was also quite, quite, I think self, self-sufficient as well. Whereas like, I, 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 I I handled my work quite well, I think, and I, I, I generally I generally, just, like, when, when you're feeling good, I don't think you need, like, that much support from the people around you. Like, it's it's nice to spend time with them, right? And, and it, feel, it feels very good, but it's not, like, you kind of need them to keep you afloat, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so,
0: yeah, basically just, just had friends in uni, and bringing mm-hmm. lots of them along to Amsterdam now. So, at like your technical skills, how has it changed or developed much over the past two or three years at uni? Like, what kind of um. other than, I guess, the things that you've mentioned, what have you, like, consciously tried to improve and work on? And what have you tried to work on that's beyond the requirement of your degree? I mean,
1: one thing that I think is is, is quite interesting that I definitely think I've gotten better at is playing the game, if that makes sense. Um, so, I mean, kind of if you want to do well at school or at uni or in life, right? There's a lot of things outside of just like, like, you know, doing well at your job that you have to kind of you have to keep in mind, right? You, like you need to, be able to basically figure out like what is important, like what are you being assessed on, whether it's, you know, at school or at your job, right? Like like how, like how to get a promotion, right? Like how you need to figure out like what is important. Um, uh, what does my supervisor or my marker or my, my boss want to see? Right. And, uh, and like, how do, how do I kind of do that in order to kind of get to the spot I want to be in. And so, um, that, that I think can get in the way of general like self betterment right so for example right like in high school if you're if you're trying to play the game in in, in, in Australia for example like I think doing space over IB is, is a no brainer because you can really maximize your score very easily there compared to IB where you, you've got a lot more things you have to worry about um, and so in that case I, I, didn't, I didn't really like, like like choose to play the game there because I wanted to focus on just learning as much as I could um, and at uni as well I, I think for, for the first couple of years I was really focused on just yeah you know like I, I really liked what I was doing I wanted to learn as much as I could um, but but something yeah that I've, I've I've, I've done, I, particularly in my last year, I think, is, yeah, kind of figure out how to play the game where, where like, you know, you can, you can maximize your, your score to the best of your ability and, like, um, exact, like, like what to do exactly, right? I, I think a lot of people basically are bad at prioritizing things. Like, they, they spend their time doing the wrong things, if that makes sense, um, and, and they don't really, like, see what's important as much. And so, uh, yeah, a, a big, it's not really a technical skill, I guess, but it is sort of technical. It's, yeah, uh, this, this, this kind of ability to, to figure out what, what is important and, like, what you need to do um in order to maximize your score. And like that was very relevant in, in my final year project, I think, where where it's it's less of a of a of like of like a test where it's like, you know, do you know your stuff? And it's more of like a how can I convince my marker that what I've done is worthwhile and is cool. And it's I think something that, that you'd see a lot in like further academia, right? Where you write papers and you want to write papers that, that are like that get citations and that you know are, are generally like you know well received by the scientific community. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably the biggest one. Um, otherwise, generally just, yeah, like, I guess, writing code. So before uni, I'd never written line of, I mean, yeah, I'd never wrote code really before. Um, and yeah, starting at uni, I really liked it, and so something I spent a lot of time outside of my course doing as well is just writing code, because I really enjoy it, and because getting better at it is a lot of fun, and I think that, yeah, that's a one of the best skills you can have nowadays um, if you're looking to be a technical person is, is writing code. And even if you're not technical, like, I think writing code can
0: bring a lot of value to your life. How does someone who doesn't have much experience writing code, how do they begin? How would you tutor them and guide them?
1: Um, I mean, it depends Like, yeah, what they want to write code for. Um, and I, I think that, that can be uh, a big point where people get lost. I think if you're not technical, like starting something like Python is probably great because it, it's like the lowest barrier to entry and you can use it for like, a lot of very simple like, kind of automation tasks. And the biggest things, yeah. I mean, I don't know, just just like YouTube, um, uh, like yeah, watch videos to kind of get an idea of how stuff works, um, and then just practice. Um, a, a lot of the, like the, the online tools for practicing, I think, can be a little bit too focused on like kind of the, the, the puzzle solving things. So like things like LeetCode or HackerRank, these are all very like kind of pu- puzzle heavy um, websites where you don't really like learn to write code as much for like the real world, and it's more these, these are kind of like like niche niche puzzles. And so I think that that can be a very fun way of getting people into it because like, puzzle solving is fun. Um, but from there, I think it's more like, you know, try and find things in your life that would be easier if you had like, some way of automating them, right? So you know, whatever it is that you're doing, I'm sure that there's something that, that you're doing in your job or in your life that, that you use computers to do, but you have to do things manually, right? And so kind of removing that by, by writing a, a simple program that'll do it for you, I think that's a great way of getting kind of people into it. And you don't really need to, to have like, amazing uh, code writing skills to, to kind of do these kind of things, I think.
0: Mm, mm. and when did you begin kind of learning
1: coding and programming um so in my first year of university um we you never had done it before in high school no i mean like no basically no i did not know how to, how to write code like i i think i think i tried learning but i i mean i don't know it just wow. didn't work out like I, I think i did a cs50 I, uh, yeah in like, yeah, in like the, 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 the course i tried doing cs50 or something but i don't know i wasn't following it um and so yeah it was yeah, at university uh, in my first year, we had programming for engineers course, uh, like that basically taught C plus um, plus. That's the first time I did programming, and I I loved it. Uh, our our lecturer, I would say like his his lecturing skills weren't the best, but he was like the the, the kind of lab content that he gave was amazing. Like it was it, like that. That's really like kind of what taught me to code, and I think without him, I, it definitely wouldn't be like where I am now. So I'm very grateful for like all of the all, all of, like the the content he gave because like all all these kind of problems that he set um were like what I learned so like the big thing is like yeah you you learn how how to write code by writing code um obviously you need, you need like you know watch videos or like lectures or whatever to kind of get that initial understanding but you don't really internalize the concepts until you actually use them to write code and so yeah my first time writing code or my first time learning to code was yeah during basically all these programming labs in our, in our first year um and yeah and beyond. Um, so, like that, like first year was a big learning point, and then in the second year we had a, a very big coursework um, where we had to write a compiler, um, and that was also a, a huge learning point. Yeah, we basically had, had to write a compiler for, for C um, in C plus plus, and so uh, we did that with a partner, and and yeah, that I, th- I think taught me like yeah how to write kind of big, big, uh, big software in, in the sense of like what you, you'd more likely see in industry rather than like yeah something simple that you'd write for yourself or whatever.
0: Mm. And now that you start work, um, do you think that you're still going to go above and beyond to develop these technical skills, or do you feel like work will basically cover this type of professional development?
1: I'm not sure. Um, I, because, like, like thinking now, like there are definitely some things that I, I want to do in, in my free time that, that are programming focused. So I probably will do those. Um, but obviously, I'm not sure how how I'll feel. Like I'll see, right? Like if, if I'm coding, maybe maybe if I'm coding eight hours a day. I won't feel like coding and I'm home. But it's, I think it's still something that uh, like I really enjoy, right? Like, and a lot of times, yeah. Like when I'm writing code at work, I'm having fun writing the code at work, and so it's also fun for me to write the code at home. You know, it, it's not really a downside. But I don't think I'll be spending like huge amounts of hours um, coding. I definitely think I'll, I'll be working fewer hours um, than I was like during uni. I, like uh, it, Imperial was, was very tough in the sense of like, like hours worked. Like it, it was pretty ridiculous. I, I think like yeah, there there are times in like yeah second year where I was probably working like around twelve hours a day. Um, seven days a week. And so I definitely will not be doing any of that stuff uh, at October. Um But yeah, I, 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 I do still still want to learn. Um, and in general, like, like the language C++ I really love. Um, it's definitely my favorite language. And so getting better at that language, I think, because it, 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 it's, 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 a, it's a very very broad language. And so I think you can spend a lot of time learning learning it. And so that's something I definitely think I'll still be doing even, even when I'm working. Hmm. Um,
0: any crazy predictions about the future? I don't know. Either your future or either humanity's future, a country, or just what 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 do you think that you see that perhaps other people haven't really caught on or understand? What what makes you different in your outlook of what's coming?
1: I actually don't know. Um I mean, I guess my crazy prediction is that like things are not gonna change like that much that fast. Like you know. Um I, th- I think a lot a lot of people feel like, you know, like oh this is gonna happen and then everything's gonna be completely different. But I I mean obviously like yeah, we're, we're gonna keep having innovation, I think. I don't think that that's gonna stop anytime soon. Um I, I think we'll keep seeing kind of steady rate of progress. I think oh yeah, the biggest thing that that's gonna change in our lifetimes, I think, is gonna be quantum computing and how that, that affects um, I guess, yeah, everything we've built so far. Um essentially, all of like pretty much all of the internet relies on on inc- encryption methods which quantum computing breaks easily, right? And so it's, it's a problem that like you know that people like technology companies are aware of and something that they're, they're going to plan towards. Um, but I do think that that's going to be very interesting to see. Like yeah, is like does the shift happen early enough? Um, and and when it like when do we actually get large enough quantum computers that are, that are capable of breaking um, current internet encryption? That's going to be a, a a cool change, I think. And also seeing kind of the power quantum computers bring um, to a certain set of problems. So it's not like quantum computers are are better than the classic computers in every problem. But there are there are certain problems that we've seen where quantum computer computers massively outperform regular computers, and it'll be really cool to see how how solving these kind of problems can bring lots of benefits to to us. So that, yeah, that's probably a big thing. And then yeah, another thing is kind of seeing applications of specialized AI in solving really hard problems. So for example, uh, like Google's DeepMind uh, uh, have recently like yeah made made big progress in solving like protein folding problems, which is some big chemistry problem. I'm not super familiar with that because I'm not a chemistry person, um, but these, these kind of historically very difficult problems um, that we faced can now be solved in, in uh, much more efficient ways than, we, than we've had access to before. And so kind of seeing how, how, how these, these solutions kind of follow through into improvements in, in our lives I think is going to be really cool.
0: How do you personally like, follow all the updates and cut through all the media noise? Because if you just look at headlines like, it's just you don't really get the proper picture of of what things actually are, how do you actually sort through what's real, what's fake?
1: Oh, I mean, in general, like what's real, what's fake? Um, that's, I mean, obviously that's a lot more difficult on like, like political news, I think, than, than, than technical stuff. I think for technical stuff, I mean, yeah, there are also people like, who want to falsify things for, for various reasons there. Um, but uh, I mean, what I do is I, I guess I, I, I'm on r slash uh, technology um, and you know, just to see the headlines that are there and that, that usually keeps me up to date on like things that are happening. Um, I, I feel like in general, I'm, it's not like I, I have particular ways of like yeah, keeping up with this stuff. I just feel like when you're on the internet, like you know, things come up, and so you know, what, you know, you'll 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 see what's kind of happening in the world as long mm-hmm. as you're online. And so mm. I'm I'm online some amount of the time, so mm-hmm. it, I, I see things like that, I guess.
0: When you're around really smart people or with that kind of te- different um, technical backgrounds, do you feel like excited then by? the the opportunity to learn from them or a bit of insecurity, a bit of combination, like when you're solving those complex, difficult problems that you might not know whether you could even solve it, what's your mindset and how have you done so well?
1: Well, I think that one one big thing I have is that I'm always confident that I will be able to solve it, right? And that helps a lot. Like, yeah, I don't think I really have to face the kind of insecurity um, that a, a lot of people feel when they're solving these hard problems because, you know, in the past, like, you know, whatever I've kind of come across, I've found some way to overcome it, right? And so I can kind of draw on, on all of that, all, all of that, like kind of these past accomplishments that kind of give me confidence that, you know, whatever this thing is, I'll find some way to figure it out, right? Um, and so, yeah, whenever I'm facing a hard problem, that's what I think. In, in terms of like, yeah, meet, meeting other smart people, I'm, I'm always really, really happy to, because yeah, it's just a really great learning opportunity. And like, yeah, so like, for example, another great perk of working Optiverse that a lot of, of like, pretty much everyone there is super smart, right? So, there's also opportunities to learn from, from some incredible people, and so I, that's really exciting to me, because, yeah, like, um, you know, I want to get better, and if you're around people who are better than you, then it's it's, it's easier to get better, because they kind of pull you up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, and, yeah, in terms of people who are related to other other kind of, like, fields that are not necessarily mine, I think that that's just a, yeah, a cool way of, like, yeah, just, just learning about things that you might not know right on a surface level um and it, it, it's really interesting because yeah you know you just, you just get exposure to other fields and so yeah one perk of imperial being a, a, a kind of like stem only uni is that yeah everyone you, you kind of meet is doing some kind of cool technical work and when we're talking um it's, it's always nice to learn about yeah what they're doing
0: do you fit the stem um stereotypes uh, whatever that means i mean for you.
1: Uh, what, what does that mean to you like like
0: yeah i, I guess <laughs> what are some common stem stereotypes for you well i guess obviously incredibly smart which obviously you take that <laughs> um would prefer i guess to be working on these technical problems compared to perhaps socializing but obviously this is a very broad brush generalization yeah
1: yeah i mean there's, there's definitely a, it's like yeah in, in terms of that problem there's definitely some of that um like yeah i and I, I think, very
0: pragmatic you know very
1: yeah i mean i'm, I'm I, I would think I, I think of myself as very pragmatic I, I think that's a good thing though you know in general i think being pragmatic is good like you need to be realistic when you're looking at the world and you need to be like yeah you know like, think about how, how things actually are. And so, you know, do whatever you can to make things nice. And I, I guess, yeah, that comes out to, yeah, not necessarily caring about everyone's feelings uh, in the best way possible, right, and, like, you know, coddling everyone. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I, I think that part of being pragmatic is is, is is being aware of, you know, the value of of, of, of other people. And, and so you want to make sure that you don't make people feel bad because then they're not be able to, to to, like, you know, do valuable work. And so that's part of being pragmatic. So I don't necessarily think that the, the, the pragmatism means
0: you don't care about other people do you have good leadership skills do you think um management leadership i i mean motivating other people
1: i don't know um i don't think they're bad necessarily i like i I don't think i'm I'm an incredible leader um but i don't think i'm I'm a bad leader um like in most group projects that i've done i've I've kind of assumed some kind i mean we haven't really had like official leadership roles but like very very often i kind of default to leadership role just because i 'm um, one of the ones with like like the best technical skills, and so it kind of comes down to me to yeah, to, to figure stuff out and to allocate people in certain ways um and I guess yeah when it, when it comes to kind of solving technical problems, I do think a lot of the time it 's good to kind of yeah, look towards whoever has like you know the, the the most experience on that particular problem or yeah whoever's best positioned to kind of have an idea of how to solve that problem to kind of yeah guide guide you for that so I feel like in stem it 's not like the same as, as as like standard leadership skills that, that you see everywhere else um yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I, I feel like in general, I'm like a, a reasonably likable person, and I feel like I mean saying that you know can come across as, can come across as bad, but I, I think most <laughs> of the time, like yeah, in, in person, like I I think people warm up to me, and so that definitely helps. I think being a leader, like I, I, one of the best, one of the most important steps is like you know if people around you hate you, obviously you can't be a good leader, right? Um, so in that sense, I, I I think I'm too bad. I'm not sure. I don't know. What do you, you think? Make, you. Yeah. What do you think
0: makes a good leader? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I think leadership is all about influencing other people in a positive way, right? Mm. And I think when you break it down, you know, you've you got to pull this team or you got to lead and get this group from one place to the next. Yeah. And that next place, the team may not necessarily always believe it, but you've got to obviously find a way to encourage and have that vision. And you do that by, you know, having aligned values so that people can work together. And then during that process of leadership, um, you know, there will be lots of adversity, trials, things like in a workplace or at school or in a sports team, you're always going to face setbacks. And as a leader, it's channeling, it's having that vision, having those values, and then somehow finding a way for the whole team to be resilient and hopefully, with all those things, you end up accomplishing something that's very good. So I guess like vision, values, resilience, service—that's um, how I would broadly conceptualize mm. leadership. But I think is obviously very context dependent. Like how yeah. you lead a basketball team is very different to how you lead a university finance society or entrepreneurship yeah. society or a musical ensemble or a workplace setting. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I guess my I guess biggest exposure to leadership in, in that sense would, would probably be yeah, like like. What, what I did, like as a departmental representative, um, which is kind of like leadership, but also like I'd say more like service than leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess there are yeah, other things like you know being, uh, yeah, being uh, like yeah, uh, confident in like in like your decisions. Um, you know e- even when like yeah, you know like basically being able to make a decision in the absence of perfect information, I think is obviously very important mm, mm. and uh, not kind of being paralyzed like like some decision is better than no decision, mm, right mm. and so yeah, you have to definitely be able to make decisions um and you know being being good at making good decisions is definitely a great skill for a leader, right so mm, like obviously mm. like sometimes you'll make bad decisions and also yeah. Recognizing when a decision that you've made is bad,
0: I think is also really important. What's your framework of decision making? Because previously you were saying like figuring out what's important, what's urgent, you know, the Eisenhower matrix and stuff. There are all these types of tips and tricks and frameworks. What how do you go to to make the most logical, rational, pragmatic decision?
1: I mean, yeah, I, I don't use any 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 like yeah official um uh, kind of yeah frameworks, but I mean yeah, the the most common thing is yeah, thinking of the pros and cons, you know, thinking thinking about what what is the purpose of something? Um, so like, yeah. For example, when I'm like proposing changes to our course, is thinking, yeah. What is the purpose of our course, right? It's like to, to uh, fairly assess. as uh, like you know, like the, 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 the marketing scheme, right? It's to fairly assess people on their technical skills and their degree, right? And so you kind of think like this is the outcome that 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 like is being aimed for, and then like how are the existing things kind of failing to meet that outcome, and then what are the pros and cons of of the changes? You know, like you know, if we have like say three options, right, like like which of these options is the best, what the value they have. And so then from there, obviously as, as someone who's like kind of representative, the point is that then you feed that back to your cohort and you ask for, for people to vote. And so usually it's just, yeah, you know, what do people think? And you, you, you kind of forward that along. And then sometimes, you know, if, if you feel like like, you're, like your course are making, like, you know, if overall people are making a bad decision for, for some particular reason and you think that there's a very strong and compelling reason why why something should be different, then I think like, yeah, like like recognizing that and arguing that is is also important. So it it basically just
0: comes down to pros and cons, right? On some of the so-called bad decisions, and you don't need to share any in in particular, but why do you think those decisions have worked out badly? Was it just a lack of luck? Was it something that a blind spot that you didn't manage to see? Was it perhaps pride at that particular time or perhaps rashness? Um, When you think about when things have inevitably gone wrong, are there any patterns to...
1: I mean, in terms of decisions that yeah, I've made as a representative, I don't think that I mean, yeah, the worst decisions that I've made have basically been not being impartial when I'm presenting changes to to people, right? So obviously, like I have an opinion, and usually I have a strong opinion on, on what I think is is the best course of action. Um, but when I'm communicating that to to everyone, there have been times, especially when, like, when early on uh, in, in my position, where where I I, I I made it quite clear what my opinion was, you know, not necessarily just like saying you should do this, right? But basically like like either by by like yeah, not presenting both things equally, right? Or yeah, or or that, that kind of stuff. And so I got some negative feedback on that, right? And so those those were probably I think like the the main bad decisions I've done as as like in that position. Right? And yeah, moving forward, it was just, you know, be careful to, to not be impartial, right? Or to basically have kind of separate channels right, where it's like, for example, if I'm communicating like via email and I'm, like, you know, I've got these documents I'm presenting there, it's very impartial. But then if, if I'm like on a group chat, for example, there, it's, it's not necessarily me as a, de- a representative, it's just me as a person, what my opinion is. Right? Um, but otherwise, like when I, when I was mentioning bad decisions, I was just talking about like, when I think students on average make bad decisions, so for example... Um, the uh, like people opinions on whether coursework should be set over over holidays or not, right? And so obviously a lot of people at Imperial are very technically compl- like, like they're very technically skilled and they all care about their marks, right? Um, and so a lot a lot of people kind of are okay like are happy to 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 allow for for lecturers to set to set coursework over holidays so that they have more time to work on their coursework, right? yep. But the problem with that is that it's essentially unsustainable. Like like our course is already so intense um, and you have to work so many hours during term. That I think is really important to kind of have this period where you can switch off, and it's very important for your well being to be able to have this time where you, you can yeah, take a breath or like a, a proper breath. And even then, we often don't have that because we have exams after holidays that we need to revise for over holidays. Um, that's that's something where essentially like yeah, as as, as the rep team and as as like, as like the department, we've kind of gone over what a lot of students think, and like you know, a lot of students are like yeah, they want their their um, like they're they're happy with with extensions over their holidays because they want to maximize their scores. Um, but we decided that it's it basically the, the downsides are too strong, and that it, it's just more important that that we kind of have these strict rules in place where we don't allow courses to be set over the holidays, or, or we strongly, like, we strongly encourage against that to be done, to kind of give students that that time for themselves. And so, I think that's a, that's a common trend that, that we see, especially at Imperial, where it's like things like, like kind of mental health being put second place to technical achievement, right? Um, so I, I think that 's the the biggest point where, where very often there's there 's an imbalance between like yeah what what I think is correct uh, um, and then what what most people think is correct
0: if mm, that makes sense mm. did you always value mental health and well being um, well, I guess it seems like you've always i guess had really good well being and mental health Um, well
1: since, since like uh late high school i 'd say that my mental health's been really good I think before that it wasn 't great Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I guess in uni, I don't think I saw as much of a problem. I guess because obviously for me it wasn't really that much of a problem, and so it was more when I kind of saw um, how like some of my friends were feeling at uni um, and um, kind of the impacts our course was having on their mental health, where I really realized like, wow, this is like a really a really important issue, right? Because and like, it comes, it always comes down to yeah, like how sometimes your personal experience can kind of cloud, you know, how most people are, how, like yeah, like like what common problems are for people, right? Um, so, yeah, like, like for me, like since since I was doing well in the course and I was really enjoying the content, I didn't really like, face many mental health problems with our course, mm-hmm. right? Like it, 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 like a l- but a lot of people felt like, yeah, you know, really insecure coming into Imperial, for example, mm-hmm. or in general, they were just really struggling because there's too many things to do and they just can't do everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it was kind of like over my first few years at Imperial is where I kind of realized how important of an issue of mental health is and how something that, that is really unaddressed, like like it's, it's under addressed, I think, by Imperial. I think Imperial generally needs to do a better job with it compared, like, because when, when compared to other universities, um, it's, it's just not close. Like 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 you've got a two-month wait list to, like, to, like speak to, to a therapist at Imperial. It's, it's I think, very, very, very challenging, especially as one of the most challenging universities that, that you can kind of go to, mm-hmm. um, to kind of not have that really strong mental health support
0: yeah.
1: um, to help students who are struggling, because there will be students struggle, right? Like if, if you get a bunch of people who are number one in high school into the same room, one of them is not going to be number one anymore, right? Like, one of them is is going to be the bottom. All but one will not be number one. (laughs) But, like, I mean, like, uh, you know, half of them will will, will be be still doing well, Even the
0: number one won't know
1: that they're number one until they get there. Yeah, yeah. But it's, like, um, a lot of them are going to be, like, yeah. I mean, like, 10% 10% fail, right, a lot of the time. And so it's like those
0: 10% are gonna be feeling really bad and they're gonna be, and they're like, a lot of yep. them are struggling for but a variety like of reasons. Objectively, they're doing like technical competence wise, they're still very competent. Yeah. But they yeah. don't feel like it's Yeah, exactly, exactly. And
1: like, even if, yeah, even if you're doing well, like, I, I, I've seen quite a few, like, of my friends who are doing really well, um, right, but they still feel quite insecure because, um, I mean, yeah. You know, sometimes they measure themselves against me, which obviously is, is unfortunate. Like, I mean, like it's like you know so, someone is going to be number one, like you said, right? And so yeah, I guess yeah. yeah, I'm I'm very lucky that that I am, and so it's like you know <laughs> like you shouldn't be like yeah, just always measuring yourself to me because it's like I'm, I'm not the average like I'm not the average imperial imperial student or person, right? And it's like even if you like just by being an imperial, I think is uh, just an amazing accomplishment, right? Like you should be you should be proud of and like you sh- you really should feel like like you're smart and like that you're you're technically gifted just just by having by having gotten here, right? Um, and so. I think, yeah, it's, 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 it's some, something a lot of people struggle with a lot and it's something that I think, yeah.
0: Do you empathize with that? Does it make sense?
1: Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I mean, like, it's, it's tough because obviously, like, I, I, I sometimes wonder, like, yeah, how, how I would have felt if, like, I really struggled go, like coming, coming into Imperial, right? Like, like, like what I would have done because obviously historically a lot of my self-worth was drawn from the fact that I was doing well and I yeah, know I'm doing yeah. well because if I compare myself to others, yeah. I'm doing like better than them for example, right? Or like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's like clearly I'm doing well because like I'm doing better than other people, right? Um, and I think that's, that's something that, that's very natural um, to do. And so I, th- I think it's very hard to kind of have the mindset of, oh, you know, like now I should stop comparing myself to other people. I think in general, like comparing yourself to others like, can be good, but it, it's, it's really hard right? because it, it kind of fuels competition, and competition can be a good motivator to do better, but it's really easy to get toxic, right? And so when it gets toxic, that, that's when it's really bad, and that's when you, you, can, you can very easily feel really bad or, or feel good if you're doing well, right? But I think, I think like, that's something that has changed for me a lot, where, where um, when I was younger, like, my, my competition was very toxic in the sense that um, it, worked, it, it, was, it was fine for, for my mental health because, because I was doing better, but I feel like if I had if I, if I done worse, it would have been really bad. It's
0: like a zero sum game yeah yeah
1: but but now it's it's definitely different where it's not it's it's yeah it's not about comparing yourself to others like you want to do well you want to see your friends succeed you want to see everyone succeed right and so even like it's not about how i compare myself to others it's how i compare myself to like what i like like what i want to achieve right so it's like you know when i when i'm doing like a piece of work it's like i have a vision ahead of like of like what i want to do and it's like how close am i to that right and so that's what's going to determine how good i feel or not about it right rather than Oh, I did better than this person, so I'm feeling good about it now, if that makes sense. Right. And so I feel like for for a lot of people, um, like yeah, this is something that they have to work on where yeah, you know, whenever you're you're, you're in a competitive environment, it it, it it's, it's you get to try and take the focus away from comparing yourself to others and, and more focus on, you know, what like what do you want to do? Like 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 how how is the how is the work you produced compared to like what you would have ideally made? And like, you know, like learning to be happy with that, if that makes sense. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So for you then I'm um, just trying to perhaps understand a bit of why you have this confidence and why you've been doing so well and maybe one of the my hypotheses is that you know living 10 countries across four continents you've just kind of seen that perhaps things aren't always that deep and there's always some um, different ways of uh, being different ways of living different cultural traditions different values that when you're in that same bubble you might feel like it's a be all and end all is that a right hypothesis like having seen many different diversity um it gives you perspective i mean i definitely definitely
1: think that 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 is is something that's helpful um and it's 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 definitely been good in the sense that um yeah it it, it gives you perspective and i I think it helps more on on like a life kind of Mm. sort of thing which 10 countries by the way um, so i was so america uh, oman scotland azerbaijan england you know england's technically one country for now for now we'll see um Oh yeah, counting the suit for now, uh, England, Brunei, Australia, France, Romania, um, and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And
0: Sorry. when, when I evoke the word home, or when you think about your identity, or where you're grounded in, what, which of those countries come to mind?
1: I don't really have one. And like, yeah, that's something that's really interesting, I think it's that, yeah, I don't really feel like I belong to any, any country,
0: which makes sense since I've never really lived anywhere. Um, they're, they're all a bit, obviously, they're all part of you. Yeah. But, surely there's a different proportion in or, or are they just yeah all just equal
1: no, no i mean definitely not all equal i mean i i, I guess i I, would, I feel like i feel like i'm european um is probably one way to describe it and i also definitely have like some so, some australian culture that that definitely kind of mixes in with that so i'd say like yeah european mm. slash slash australian mm. um obviously like a lot of times like i associate home with like yeah visiting like family outside of my immediate family and so a lot of that yeah in france um more so than the netherlands um but yeah also in the netherlands. Um, I guess those two places, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I think that in, in general, like, um, I mean, I guess, yeah, part of this comes from, yeah, not really having a strong sense of like nationalism, but I, 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 d- I don't know how, how valuable nationalism really is. Right. And in general, I, 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 think that looking forward, it'd be great if, you know, we get better at, at collaborating across cultures, or across countries. Um, and we kind of try to break down the, 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 ba- the barriers of, yeah, you know, like, like, us versus them, you know, like, like country A, country B, that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, obviously, a, a big part of, of my views on that probably come from the fact that, yeah, I don't really have any one country that I feel like I'm a part of. Um, but no, um,
0: I think that that's, that's, that's something that we should kind of aim for as a society. Mm-hmm. And for your long-term future, where do you want to live or is it just follow the opportunity? So,
1: yeah, something interesting about living in a bunch of different countries is that I, I kind of built a list of, like, you know, requirements that I have for countries I want to live in. Because um, obviously, yeah, the, the, some places were, were definitely better than other places. Um, criteria. So number one is I want drinkable tap water, <laughs> because yeah, it's just it's just <laughs> it's just annoying when you don't have drinkable tap water. Like oh my god, I just yeah, I don't like buying water. It's annoying. Um, otherwise, uh, another another one is yeah, being able to speak the local language, um, and so. I could maybe, I mean, so for example, like I'm moving to Amsterdam, um, but I I don't speak Dutch anymore. I I used to be fluent, um, and so I'm I'm trying. I'll I'll relearn it, and it shouldn't be too difficult for me, hopefully. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I'm also, I think, I think I'm open to potentially living in a place where, if I'm living there long enough, I can learn the language. I think historically, it's because I moved around so much; it was never kind of worth learning the language since I'm always going to move again in like a year or two, Mm -hmm. right? so that's like, that's like I, guess, I guess, a soft requirement. It's definitely an upside if I can speak the local language because um, it's nice, right? Mm. Um, I think that's basically it. Those are my only two. Drinkable and would, tap you want your, one.
0: would you want your kids to move around and experience in, or, or would you be I, happy if they just have a very stable life in a very beautiful place? I, 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 I do want to move around with my kids. Probably not the same frequency I
1: moved around because I do think that, like, especially when I was young, I, I do think it, it was not great for me socially um i think like moving every like five years would be like pretty optimal yeah um now you know we'll see in the future if i can be bothered to do that because moving is just so much effort yeah. um but i, I yeah like, like kind of going back to like what you, what you think gives me an edge i do think that moving around um was yep. very helpful and definitely so like you I don't, know that yeah. you can adapt and you yeah, know exactly. that you can make
0: friends yeah like how I, do you make friends in new places i mean i don't know you just talk to people <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> like
1: yeah I, I don't think it's it's particularly complicated like you just talk to someone. People like talking about themselves, um, You know, that's kind of the whole stick of your podcast, right? Like, it's great to have people talking about themselves. Um, so you know, ask them questions about themselves and they're usually happy to answer. Um, you kind of go from there, right? Like you identify common interests, um, it's, yeah, it's not too difficult. In, in general, I, I feel like, like like people are quite friendly um, and obviously that's just my perspective. Um, <laughs> like definitely not everywhere people are v- very friendly, but um, yeah. Like, like, the places I've been to, yeah, people are always very open to, to, to making a connection. And so if you just, you know, talk to them, have an open mind, you know, don't be a hateful person. I think it's also like a, a great, like, like a great way to, to make friends, right? Like, you know, I, I think people are being happy to, happy to hang out with you,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Awesome. Any <clears throat> other words of wisdom that you've um, already accumulated in your life so far? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be nice to other people, guys. Let's go. Um, I don't
1: know yeah I, I i other stuff is just you know
0: trying and think, think about think another, another strength that you have is um your honesty, I think um I've always appreciated even at school of um even when I was feeling down and stuff like you were never shy of saying what you actually believed in, and yeah, and I think do you see that as a strength of yours too yeah
1: i mean i i, I don't know how good it is in terms of playing the game right honesty but i i i think that it, it it's a good value to to have um Because, yeah, you know, like, why waste your time not saying what you think, right? Mm, mm. Um, No, that's that's something I like. I I don't know if it's something that, like, yeah, gives me an edge or anything, but um, I I like that about myself. I think there are times where I need to be more honest. Um, I mean, something that you keep keep practicing. Because sometimes it's just scary to to, to tell the truth, right, or or to say everything that you're feeling, Um, I think. And so that's often, like, I, I don't think that, in general, people enjoy lying like most people, are. So some do, but uh, but so, yeah, people are afraid, mm. and so they 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 say stuff because they they think that that's the best thing they can say in that particular position, right? Mm. Mm. Um, and so I guess I guess yeah, if you're less afraid, then it's easier to be honest because because mm. then you don't have those, those kind of
0: other things pulling you to other mm. other things, mm. Um other factors. Sorry. So. One of the things we mentioned about your, you know, initial Cambridge offer and then things working out, you know, and I remember the last catch up that we had in London, we were saying how like things always work out for a reason and some people attribute it to religion or God, other people just like, what's your theory on why things always work out for a reason? And that would be the second to last question.
1: Okay. Oh, well, for me, I think, I think that I'm a lucky person. And uh, in general, I think that it's very powerful to believe that you're lucky. Um, not necessarily like, yeah, with religion or anything, just, 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 I I just have this like innate belief that, yeah, things will work out. And I guess that's happened. I mean, a lot of that is instilled, I think like, yeah, by your upbringing. Right. And so, um, and so, yeah, you know, if good things happen to you then you'll, you'll believe more good things happen, but yeah, by believing that you're lucky and by believing that things will work out, like you, things do work out, right? Like you're better at recognizing opportunities. You're better at making the most of bad situations. Um, and so I I do think that it, it helps, it helps kind of, yeah, manifest these things, not in like a, in like, in like a you know, astrology way, but just, just like, like practically, like, you know, you will just be, be better at, at making, at making mm-hmm. situations better. And obviously a lot of things are just in your head, right? So mm-hmm. if you have a positive outlook on things, then you, if you're feeling good, then, then you'll just keep feeling good. Mm. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, even st- studies have even shown that people who believe they're lucky are better at identifying, uh, identifying um, uh, like positive situ- situations where they, they had the study where they had people identify, um, like if they were like lucky or unlucky, like self identifying you know, or say, am I lucky or not? Um, and they had them count all the pages in a newspaper and they recorded how long it took, it took the, the people to do, to do so, right? Um, and so they found that, that um, people who thought they were lucky were able to do it in just like a, a few seconds, right? And people who were unlucky took it much, much longer, right? And the reason for that was because on the second page of the newspaper, they had printed um, in bold, like, there are like X many pages in the newspaper, you don't, you don't have to keep counting them, just put this number down and you're done. And the people who were lucky were better at identifying it and also better at believing that that was the truth, right? Like maybe someone who's pessimistic or who feels that they're unlucky will be like, no, it's too good to be true. This opportunity can't be real. I have to keep counting and, and verify like, you know, what is actually the case. Very um, interesting. Yeah, it, 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 it is really interesting stuff. And so I do think by kind of having a positive outlook on life is, is this kind of positive feedback loop, right? Where you believe things will be good. So you're better at making things good. And so you keep believing things are good, right? And the same is true for the negative, right? Where if you think things are going to be bad, then, then more often than not, things will turn out worse. Because of, of this kind of negative outside, where you will ignore potentially like something that could lead to a better outcome, and so I don't really know how to kind of switch from one mindset to the other, but I do think that that's definitely something that like like that, that gives me an edge over other people, where it's like just this kind of innate belief that yeah so things things like will go you're well. In your younger years, at times you were trapped in a negative thinking loop. I, I don't know if I ever was, right? Um, but I mean, I, I, I was definitely unhappier and that changed. But I, I, I think that this kind of, yeah, belief that things will work out or that, or that you know, like, like, like I, I can do it, right? This, 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 thing, like, like this, this belief that I can do it, that was, that was always there. Like that was done by my parents, basically. Like, like my, my parents always kind of encouraged me and pushed me and told me, you know, like, yeah, you can do anything, right? Like, like having this belief is, I think, really powerful. And so that's not something that I think you can, I mean, obviously you can't control your upbringing, right? But if you have that that, that, that kind of tool with you, um, it makes things much easier. I I don't know how you can acquire it later. Um that's something you have to speak oh, to a with therapist mindset. too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll go with mindset and just just this is this yeah. Having this innate belief that yeah, you can accomplish whatever it is that that you set your mind to, like that, that will definitely get you very far, I think.
0: Wow, very powerful. I'm I'm inspired. Now. Yeah. You can do it, David, bro. You can <laughs> I do anything, can do it. <laughs> you know? Um You can put your job. <laughs> <laughs> um I guess before the last question, then, um, in the context of giving you a legacy worthy interview, as we talked about, you know, a piece of recording that captures a snapshot of where you are now that you can look back on in 10, 20, 30 years time. Um, what else, obviously you've lived such a interesting, enriching life. And if only you didn't have that dinner point afterwards, we'll we'll be able to (laughs) delve deeper, but what else do you find is important that you want to just keep in this recording? Um,
1: uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, hopefully me, the future also still believes things will work out. I do think that, yeah, I mean, like, like over time it's, it's easy because like, yeah, like the world can be a bad place sometimes and bad things can happen. And so I think it can be hard to not let that kind of shake your, your core beliefs about the world, especially when you you know, you know read the news and you see terrible things are happening other places. Um, so I would hope that, you know, me in the future still still has this positive outlook on, on the world in general and this belief that things will get better, and this belief in people, right, that, that people are good because um, yeah that, I mean, that is something I believe in that, that people are intrinsically good and so hopefully I keep believing that and and yeah
0: bad things happening in the world don't change my mind on that <laughs> <laughs> um, final question I'm going to give you the honor of asking yourself a really difficult question that you've been grappling with and can you answer the question whoa <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Came first at Imperial. Soon. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: I guess yeah. What do I think is the most important thing for someone to like to have if if they want to have like yeah you know a good life? Just believe that they're lucky. We ah, already noticed. Yeah, this. True, true. True.
0: True. This is too easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. Most important thing. Um, yeah. Have a good spawn. You know, uh, if you're born, yeah. If you're born in a developed country, you win, easy. Um, <laughs> if you're born if you're born in uh, in somewhere else, unlucky. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, no, I mean yeah. I guess yeah. This is a better question. How 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 to be happy, right? I guess that that's something that everyone wants, um, and that's something that, that I also I think um, uh, want. Like yeah, it's like going to uni. I think that my number one goal was to 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 be happy, right? And, uh, I, I think I was really happy in, in my first few years and I, I think I got less happy in my, in my last few. And I, I mean, I'm not really sure why. Um, I, I think yeah, there there, there, are, I mean, yeah, just a couple of external things that happened that, that were just like, yeah, you know, kind of mm. brought me down a bit, but okay, yeah, kind of, kind of going back on, yeah, how can you try and make yourself happy? Um, and now my answer is, uh, I think for me, it, it's definitely people, um, like I really, I like when i was younger I, I, I was very like i said before I, I was a bit of a shut-in and i think i was very introverted and, and now i'm I, I think i'm more of an extrovert than an introvert um and yeah I, I think that um kind of making bonds with people um really does make me happy um and yeah you know like, like this part of the, you know, helping
0: others right like you can kind of build these connections with people and you see them mm. you see them you see them happy and it makes you happy i remember you saying about how at uni taking on the kind of role has um opened your eyes to kind of the just how good it feels to help yeah. other people and to spend yeah, time, exactly, exactly volunteering and serving and yeah. giving something of ourselves something yeah. bigger. And, and
1: so, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how not doing that, right? Because I do think that, yeah, for the last two years, um, all the stuff I've been doing at uni has, has really helped to, to make me happy because it, it's just, it just, yeah, it makes me feel really good. And so, obviously, I, I won't have, I think, those same opportunities as much at least early on at October. Um And so, it'll be interesting to see, yeah, like, I kind of what I find. To uh, to to make up for that, um, I mean, like for example, like, like, you know, in the future, you know, at with enough seniority, like having my own intern, I think could be a lot of fun, where you, you also can have this person that you can mentor and you can coach and you can kind of help them, and, and I think that's very rewarding, right? Um, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, yeah, like um, like like now, yeah, how how it feels, right? Because um, it, it is basically, yeah, this I've made for myself, right? Like you know, this job I've chosen because I think it's a lot of fun and because um, you know it it makes a lot of money, um, and so. Not necessarily like, yeah, I've made this, you know, to help other people. And so it'll be interesting to see how how that affects kind of, yeah,
0: my my general feelings and if I I find anything else to to make up for that. Mm, Awesome. And I just want to thank you, I guess, um, not only for this recording, but I think just I I still remember when you first came into school and you just brought something different. And of course you brought something different because you (laughs) came from somewhere else. Yeah. I, I just think the, the the diligence with which you approach work, the boldness with which you always express your opinions and the sense of humour that you have had um definitely was um definitely had made a strong impression on me and really glad that when we done I B that got to spend a lot more time together and a lot more banter and memes and the group <laughs> chats and stuff. And I think um definitely when I had some I guess tough moments uh, mentally at the end of school um your honesty and support and um, all of that is definitely noted and I hope that you know how much I appreciate the positive impact that you've had on me and it's very special to you know after this five years well since our yeah. uh, B graduation to be in London having this recording and Oh, yeah. Well, thanks, man.
1: And yeah, hey, likewise. I mean, like, I, like, for you, I definitely think that yeah, all the service that it, you, you were definitely ahead of me when it when it comes to the to, to the service um, uh, you know curve of realizing yeah that it, it makes you feel good and that it's a good thing. And I definitely think that it helped. It helped me realize that it was a good thing because yeah. I mean, I remember early on when I was I was I was, I was like you know why does David spend so many hours helping other people like literally infinite hours he just spent helping other people and and yeah um, I, I do think that it kind of helped
0: push me in this direction so. You know, that that's pretty inspirational too. Thank you very much and good luck for your flight tomorrow. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>